This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Scott Keen. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Greg. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Well, thank you for taking us on your career journey. Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, if you would, tell us what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, uh, when I was a kid, I can remember watching Evil Knievel. And uh, thought, boy, that would be kind of cool until I saw him fall down there at Caesar's Palace. And uh, I also followed a gentleman by the name of Roger DeCoster that was a motorcycle racer, uh, motocross. And I thought, you know, kind of had that interest in uh, those types of things. But eventually I realized that that probably wasn't going to be happening since my mom had no ambition of allowing me to ride a motorcycle. (laughs) So uh, when I went through high school, I had taken... Uh, several technical drawing classes and thought that I wanted to be an architect. So I Ooh. went to uh, I went to school at Washington State University because I had a great program over there and realized very quickly that my math skills would not hold up <laughs> to build a house. So I, uh, I kind of bailed and got out of that and headed in a different direction. Wow, that's awesome. So I had the little Evil Knievel plastic motorcycle that you would put the zip tie or whatever it was called through the back. And oh, yeah. You'd yank it so the rear wheel would start spinning. And you just let it go across the kitchen floor. <laughs> Either I had it or my friend had it. And I swear I was going to do a study on this. I swear Evil Knievel wrecked more than he actually landed correctly. <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, it just seems like it, the amount of times that he wrecked. <laughs> a lot of broken bones, I'll tell you. And it's, right. Uh, well, very wise mom, I would say. <laughs> what was your favorite subject or hobby in school? It sounds like it was... Drawing, or was it something else? Well, I enjoyed technical drawing, but I also had a wood shop and a metal shop, so I always enjoyed working with my hands and creating things. So that was those were probably three of the classes that I enjoyed the most. Wow, okay. Well, what was your first job, one where you actually felt like you had some responsibilities and wanted to perform well? My first job was uh, I worked for a company called B&G Machine, and they were an automotive and diesel machine shop. And so I started out working in the uh, head department, so we would remanufacture and rebuild uh, automotive and diesel uh, engine heads. And then I moved uh, over to the crankshaft department eventually uh, after a couple of years and did that. Okay, so this is pretty interesting. So you wanted to be Evil Knievel. You like technical drawings. You're heavy into the automotive engine world as a first job. So what do you do today? <laughs> <laughs> well, today I'm in sales, and I've been in sales for about 30 years. Uh, I sell uh, dental supplies and equipment to uh, dentists in a uh, local territory here in uh, Seattle, Washington. So somehow you transition from the automotive industry to the dental medical industry. So if you would, could you just kind of walk us through your career path that took you from that machine shop to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. It, it all kind of started with uh, going in for my first raise with the automotive or with the machine shop and realizing that the the way that the raises were based at that point in time were I didn't feel based on my abilities. It was more based on my age and the fact that I was single, not married, no children and type of thing. And I could be wrong in that, but it just seemed rather odd since I had started the same date as another gentleman who was married and had a child and got a significantly bigger raise than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and experience-wise, we both had very similar backgrounds. 
So um, I happened to listen to a radio station that was advertising for a company called STI. It was Sales Training Institute. And I thought, boy, that sounds like an interesting scenario. <laughs> so I, I eventually ended up uh, going through their three-month training program, and I was the only gentleman in the class that did not have a sales job. I was a machinist, obviously. And I finished number one in the class and eventually got hired in to their training program as a sales rep. I've just continued to focus on different areas. I eventually sold automobiles uh, for about eight years of my career. Enjoyed that, but the hours were uh, very difficult. And I didn't want to try to raise a family in the working almost every weekend of the month and late nights and everything else. So uh, eventually, I went back and got my college degree in marketing. And uh, once I got that, I pursued other venues in sales and landed a job with the company I'm currently with. And I've been there uh, as of February 8th. I've been there for 20 years. Wow. So how did you make that transition into the medical field? Was that a difficult transition or was it through networking? Did you know some folks? Did they realize you were a great salesman? How did that transition occur? That, the transition was, in my situation, it's, it's one of those uh, you know, they, they tell you it's it's more about who you know, mm-hmm. and I happened to be, my wife at the time was working in a dental office, and I happened to be up at the office taking her out to lunch and ran into their rep that works for the same company, and he said, you know, what are you doing here? We talked for a little bit, and uh, he said, you know, we have an opening, and so I chatted with him about it, met with him the next day with a resume, and uh, a couple of weeks later, I interviewed for a position and then I had a second interview in uh, February of uh, 99. I actually started with the company. Uh, so the, the transition, you know, in my position, I had the only dental background I had was the fact that I'd been to the dentist every six months since <laughs> I was a kid. Right. Uh, so and my wife obviously worked in a dental office, but it was the background in sales, I think, that helped uh, significantly. And I had a college degree. So, well, now this was a while ago, but do you recall anything during that interview that you felt really spoke to them or put you above the other candidates that were also interviewing? I, I think just my success as a automotive salesperson and the fact that I had gone back to school later in life and finished the education, uh, those were attributes that, uh, I think impressed them. And, uh, so I think the, the tenacity to go back and, and finish college at a later age is definitely difficult. So I think those were probably two things that they looked at and a pretty substantial sales career in automotive, which was a great learning ground because you learn a lot about people. Yeah. And I like to say, you know, once you learn how to sell one item, you can really sell anything. It's not the product. It's the selling story and presenting it in a way that your buyer or your customer feels like it's beneficial for them as well. So I, I feel like once you sell one item, and do it well, you could pretty much sell anything that you want. Yeah, and that's very true. I mean, it's, you know, sales, a lot of people say that they can't sell, but what's interesting to me is we all sell on a, every day, and that is, you know, if you're married and you want to go see a movie, and you maybe want to go see the shoot 'em up movie or, or the car movie or whatever the, the movie might be, you got to kind of sell that idea to your wife, whereas if she wants to go see a love story or something, she's selling that idea to you. So it's uh, we do that every day we sell, and it's really understanding what the needs of the client are, and if you can identify those needs and show them how your product will meet those needs, it's uh, typically pretty pretty simple. You know, actually, you just prompted me to do a very self-serving plug here. Uh, if you go to learnfromothers.org and sign up for a newsletter, which you'll be prompted to, You'll get my book I wrote a few years ago called The Tunalution of Big Business, and it's a big book, 225 pages, and a chapter is all about selling, 
And it's about how everybody sells every day. And I use an example of someone trying to sell something into a grocery store. I think I even use an example of a little kid trying to sell to their mom as well. So check that out uh, on learnfromothers.org. Well, that's really great. Well, now tell us, what is your typical day or week like? What are you selling and where are you going? Uh, I go into all dental facilities, practices, uh, whether it be a corporate practice or an individually owned practice. And uh, everything that you see in the dental office, our company sells. Uh, We sell anything from the chair that you sit in, the stools that the doctor and the assistant sit in, uh, the overhead lights, the drill motors, um, the drills, the bits themselves, the glue and goo they put in your mouth to take that impression, (laughs) (laughs) all of that fun stuff. Um, So we, we sell all of that. And so the the gamut of products in our catalog is probably, oh, maybe a couple hundred thousand SKUs. Uh, so there's there's quite a bit. Wow. Uh, a lot of it's very similar because we, as a dealer, we work with multiple manufacturers. So we have a lot of, you know, if I were to look at impression materials, I may have 35 or 40 different impression materials. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here and I can edit it out if we don't want to do it. But could you give me your selling pitch for something you pitched last week? Just trying to think. Well, selling pitch right now in our industry, uh, there's been a couple of uh, legal cases for bad water or uh, the water that they use because the lines aren't clean. And I wouldn't say that I necessarily have a pitch on it. Uh, We have information regarding it and it is becoming a mandatory federal issue or state issue where the uh, Centers for Disease Control is telling the doctors that this is a change. So I'll I'll go in and I'll talk to them and say, you know, do you do any cleaning of your water lines? And they'll say, well, I've never have. Have you heard of the new legislation that's coming? Yes, we've heard. And then we kind of walk through it. And that's kind of a simple thing. I don't necessarily pitch many items. Really, I come in and I ask them questions about issues they may be having in the practice and show them items that will fit. That's a great way to put it. And that's the best way to approach it because you're trying to solve the problems your customer might have. And in case of the water lines, you're coming up a way to address the issue before it becomes a problem for them. So, you know, you're trying to take away an obstacle that's coming their way. Absolutely. Part of that is, yes, I do have these water lines that will be beneficial and whatever that is, you know, they, they last 10 times longer or whatever. No, that's a great way to look at it. And it's probably why you're so successful. Yeah, I found that it's it works much easier. Uh, the other thing, too, as a company, what our we try to do is we try to work, not just get a few items from each office, but work to the extent that we're able to help them with almost all of their products. So most of my offices will, you know, they'll probably purchase anywhere from 70, 60 to 80%, say, of their products directly from me. Um, Some of the products that we can't sell, they'll obviously get elsewhere. Uh, But yeah, so that way it's, you're not trying to go in there and just sell them one or two items. You try to get them as an account and maintain that account and take care of them. Now, it sounds like you've built up a great relationship with your customer base, and I'm assuming you walk in there, you already have a pretty good snapshot of how they're doing, what their potential needs may be. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. But when you walk into an existing account, is it pretty much conversational? You know, what are your, what challenges are you facing? In what ways might I be able to help you out? And at the same point, you're probably telling them, you know, here's some new innovation innovation that's coming out and informing them of some of the new stuff, correct? That is correct, yes. Okay, cool. It's typical of any job. Uh, you know, sales to me is one that can be a very low-paying, easy job or a very high-paying, difficult job. And uh, right. this one is a very difficult job. <laughs> <laughs> now, will they ever – is there a new – what you call it? The the goo and glue? 
Yeah, the goo and glue. Or is there an innovation coming out where it tastes a little bit better? <laughs> <laughs> We're seeing more flavors into some of the goo and the glue. The challenge is, is those flavors will create uh, a salvation in your mouth, and Ooh. water is an enemy when it comes to impression material. Uh, so if you have that saliva in there, potentially you have to do it twice because they don't get the proper impression uh, that they need to send to the lab. And uh, that's why you don't see a lot of flavors in terms of the, the glue and goo. Right. And I never thought about that. Your salvation glands kicking in because of that flavor. I wonder yep. if it's a bad flavor, it will still kick in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's a positive thing or not. But yeah, I know. I just, I, I don't like that part of going to the dentist for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're along with many others. Uh, one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest fears out there is, uh, you know, they say it's uh, going to the dentist, number one, and uh, speaking in front of others, number two. Right, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Wow. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster and additional resources are under the resource tab. So, Scott, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was Evil Knievel, kind of. And uh, <laughs> we learned what you're doing today. So if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? You know, with my background in automotive, um, I, I first of all, I should state that I'm very comfortable and love the job that I have. Uh, it's, I've got some very good friends out of it and and that has been good, but I always have had this passion for vehicles and cars and, and that fun stuff, and I would love to be a restorer. I actually went down last, uh, what was it, last March or February to the L.A. Literature and Toy Show, which wow. is all about Porsches, and uh, had a chance to visit multiple restoration shops down there, and oh, wow. uh, that was, uh, it was an eye-opener for me. I kind of thought, man, I wish I would have, I mean, I've always loved Porsches since I was in high school, but never felt that I could afford to, to buy one. And uh, I walked around there and I thought, man, this would be a cool career. Uh, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I've, I've enjoyed what I've been doing for the last 20 years and hopefully we'll enjoy it for the next 12 or 15 years and, and walk <laughs> away from it. Right. Yeah, I just, I love cars. I like working on them. I work on all my own cars as best I can. Uh, although computers are a little different today with cars and probably do something more along that lines of the automotive world. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, let's make the assumption someone in our audience wants to do what you do. What advice would you give for them? Is there a typical career path? You know, I, I would say I've seen multiple different career paths. Uh, I see a lot of um, hygienists who've been injured on the job and can no longer do physically what they used to do. Uh, so they get into selling dental supplies and equipment. I've seen assistants do the same thing uh, or who just get burned out have been been assisting for many years and decided to get into our field. Uh, the two probably main criteria is that you have a college degree and uh, secondly is that you have a background of some type in sales because I think that's the hardest part of it. A lot of people come in and just think they're going to sell this stuff but you have to be able to gain the account and the confidence of the account to sell the supplies to. And uh, so that would be probably the main focus there. Okay, I have to ask, what is a dental hygienist injury like? Most people don't realize how strenuous that job is, but it's usually wow. in the wrist uh, or in the shoulders. Mm. And, you know, if you think about it, most of your hygienists are females. It's a very cumbersome job trying to reach around a patient, especially if you don't have the right equipment and ergonomically it doesn't work right. You can get uh, injuries in the shoulder from torquing and, and 
in the wrist from the scaling and whatnot that they do. We, we see it more often than we'd like to. We also see it with dentists as well who end up having to retire early because of injury. I would have never thought that, but now that you say that, it makes total sense. Yeah. What advice would you give a student who is currently enrolled in college, university, or a trade school? Main thing for them is understand that everywhere we're at, we work with people. Work at gaining knowledge on understanding people. Uh, a great book that I've read many times and my grandfather gave me many years ago is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm -hmm. And that book, and actually went through a training of uh, Dale Carnegie training, and those two things were very helpful to me in my early career. I also look at uh, such programs as Tony Robbins. Some of his uh, programs are very good for that type of stuff. But yeah, that's that would be the main thing. Wow, that's really good advice. I did not see that one coming. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And I am a huge car enthusiast. So would you please tell me what was your first car? My first car was a 1967 327 four-speed Camaro. What? Yeah. How'd you get, was it a basket case or was it up and running? <laughs> no, it was, it was a running vehicle. Wow. How'd you get that? That's sweet. I saved money that I, I'd, I'd worked every summer since I was a kid. As I told you, my first job was as a paper boy and I saved money from that. And, uh, my godparents owned a, uh, a burger joint in, uh, up here and I worked for them for a couple of summers and then I worked at a grocery store as well. And I put away every dime I could because that's the car I wanted to drive was a Camaro and I bought it. Well, I didn't remember the year, but I think I was a, a junior in high school, and I bought that car for $1,550. Wow. I think that might be the best first car we've ever had on the show. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I wish I had it back because it's a lot of fun to drive. Yeah. Well, what prompted you to sell it? I uh, was going off to college and needed the money. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Well, what's your dream car? I know you mentioned Porsches earlier, but is that your dream car? It really is. I, I would love... Uh, I would love to own a 1982 or an 83 911 SC, and I go with that particular vehicle for a couple of reasons. Number one, I graduated in 1980, and there's a book out there by Peter Zimmerman in regards. It's called the 911 Porsche Story or something like that. It is a, it's a friend of mine's uncle who actually wrote that, and he used to own a place called Redline Porsche uh, down in California, and the book goes through each year of Porsche and the pros and cons of each and some of the challenges that you would face in owning one and 82 and 83 of the 911 sc series those were the the two years that he really liked and i like that style that's a good good looking car i need to get that book because for christmas i actually got two books on porsches uh, so i need to get that one so that's awesome yeah it's actually really really good i think it's in its ninth ninth or eleventh uh, edition now so it's got some upgraded uh, information on the newer water-cooled stuff. Oh, okay, cool. Well, one great perk to some jobs is a company car. Now, do you have a company car for your job? Uh, one that I bought myself, and it's very economical. And as my son says, Dad, I've got more horsepower riding my bicycle than you have in that Prius C. <laughs> well, if I had all the money in the world, I'd like to buy a really cool company car based on your job. And so I just Googled classic cars dental is what I, is what I was doing. <laughs> and ironically, something really cool popped up. There was a dentist who opened up a chain of, I guess, cosmetic dentistry shops in England, became the largest car collector in England. He had 543 cars. Wow. And in 2014, he sold them as a bulk offering. Okay. And he was trying to get a million pounds for them. I don't know what it actually sold, but there were so many Jaguars in there, 130 Jaguars, that he ended up selling it to 
uh, Jaguar, the company, the, as a as a heritage collection. So they bought it, and they've recently been selling off some of the non-Jaguar Land Rovers. But the cream of the crop of his collection is what I picked for you. So for you, I picked a 1957 Jaguar XKSS. Are you familiar with this car? I am not. Not the XKSS. So basically, you had the Jaguar C-types and D-types that were their race cars. Okay. And the D-type won Le Mans and everything else. Those were 55, 56 awesome cars. Well, they decided we're going to make a street version of this car. And so they decided to make 25 of them. And their shop burnt down, and they only completed 16 of them. And so, like, Steve McQueen owned one. And it was basically the Jag race car, but it had a glove box. You know, it had actual leather interior. Super cool. So I'll send you a picture. What's really cool is the one I picked for you is a 2016 version, I think. So nine, nine of the cars were lost in the fire. Okay. They decided to make those nine cars, like, four years ago. Oh. Through the Jaguar heritage, and they did it the way they did it back in the day. They used the old tools. They used everything to the exact specifications. So they remade these nine cars, and they sold them for like one point three million dollars a piece. So that's the car I picked for you. Well, that's that's <laughs> impressive, and I'd love to be able to drive one of those around. But I think I might upset some of my doctors. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might, yeah. So uh, the original the original XKSSs go for about $14 million. I just got you the $1.4 million one. So I'll take it. I'm happy with that. <laughs> You'll take it? Okay, good. Good. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you or your company? They'd like to find out more about Burkhart. They can go to uh, Google search BurkhartDental.com. And uh, if they need to get a hold of me or would like to get a hold of me, my email address is S. Keen, and that's K-E-E-N-E, at BurkhartDental.com. Awesome, Scott. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking us on your journey today. Well, thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it, and hopefully uh, the information is helpful for somebody. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.